Welcome to Quick Hits, the only podcast that gets you smartenized. Today's episode, Unintended Consequences. The forest fires in California are estimated to have caused a billion dollars worth of damage. And that's just to the infrastructure and private property and homes. That's not even counting what the value of the forests were. And of course, global warming has been blamed because the fraction of a degree warmer that California is now than it was 50 years ago has caused the brush to be so dry that it caused these intense fires. And the clueless who are making these statements actually came kind of close to the real reason. It is because of the brush. But the real cause is the fact that the brush is there. And the reason that the brush is there is because of conservation. Every time that there is any kind of a fire, any hint of a fire, government employees run out to put it out, singing, Here I come to save the day! And then they smack each other on the back and compliment each other on a job well done. But the fact of the matter is that forest fires, especially in old-growth forests, are an important part of the ecology. They clean out debris. They clean out fallen leaves and pine needles and branches and smaller trees. And the big old trees are designed to withstand these fires as the debris gets cleaned out underneath them. In fact, There's a couple species of pines that don't even open their cones unless there's a fire. They depend on the forest fire in order to reproduce. That's how much it's a part of the natural ecology. And to make the problem even worse, so-called environmentalists have fought having this brush and debris cleared because they just don't understand how things work. In fact, in some places they've made it illegal to clean brush from your property. In researching this, I found a story of someone, uh, this was in a previous fire, and a California town had made it illegal to clear anything beyond 30 feet from the back of your property because they were trying to protect uh, some subspecies of rodent or sand flea or something. And one homeowner simply ignored that and cleared all the way to the back of his property line. And when the fires came, all of his neighbor's homes burned to the ground and his survived because he was smart enough to break that stupid law. This is a perfect example of unintended consequences. We think of forest fires as a horrible, evil thing, and fight them, and stop them, and so the debris in a forest accumulates, and accumulates, and accumulates, until, when the inevitable forest fire comes, the flames are so intense, because there's so much dry, aged fuel there, that not only does that fuel get burned up, but the magnificent trees that would have survived a regular forest fire are destroyed as well, and you end up with a completely uncontrollable blaze. It's been fun talking about various business laws and economic laws, and the law of unintended consequences is a little different. It's not quite as much of a law of physics like the law of supply and demand is, but it always seems to be there. It's usually used in a negative sense, but it's not always negative. 
For instance, Adam Smith's Invisible Hand, where the butcher and the baker, who are really only attempting to enrich themselves, but in the process make the community better and make it easier for you to put food on your table, provides a lot of the basis of our whole civilization. And in a previous show, I talked about how just happening to say the right thing at the right time put me in a position, in a situation where I eventually met my wife, who I never would have met before because we didn't travel in any of the same circles. So sometimes those unintended consequences are a good thing. But usually, usually when we're using that phrase, we're referring to negative stuff. And quite often, we're referring to the government, who does things sometimes with good intentions that have really horrible results, sometimes just the opposite result of what you're trying to accomplish. A great example of that is the Americans with Disabilities Act. Well, what a great idea. We're going to make it easier for disabled people to get jobs, to become a regular, normal part of society. Unfortunately, the wording in the law was very ambiguous. It just said that employers had to make a reasonable accommodation without defining what a reasonable accommodation was, or for that matter, even defining what a disability was. And so it was left to the courts to decide. And in a series of decisions, the courts have pretty much ruled that anything that doesn't bankrupt the company is reasonable accommodations. If it's going to cost you $30,000 a year to accommodate somebody in a $25,000 a year position, and your company is big enough to absorb that, well, then that's what you have to do. That's a reasonable accommodation. And as a result, employers are not hiring as many disabled people as they used to. The number of disabled people in the workforce has gone down since the passage of the ADA, the exact opposite of what it was intended to accomplish. Lyndon Johnson's Great Society was another example. We're going to abolish poverty by giving poor people money. But in reality, what it was was we're going to pay people to be poor. Not a lot, enough to stay poor, but it will be a paying job, and far too many people said, I'll take that job. Oh, wait, the only way I can increase my payments is to have a few more kids? Okay, I can do that. And as a result, the unintended consequence was that poverty rose instead of fell, the exact opposite of what was supposed to happen. The government is currently providing a subsidy on ethanol and a tariff. It costs 54 cents a gallon tariff to bring ethanol into the country, and you get a 54 cent a gallon bonus for producing ethanol. And as a result, farmers are planting lots more corn, but because of increased demand, the price is going up dramatically. And because it's going up dramatically, we're paying higher prices for meat, and for chicken because they're fed on corn. It's an unintended consequence. Another unintended consequence is that farmers who had been growing soybeans, and the oil from soybeans being used for biodiesel, are now planting corn. So biodiesel, which is actually a, a better fuel than ethanol, is being squeezed out because of the unintended consequences of a government program.
One of my favorite unintended consequences is called the Streisand effect. It's called the Streisand effect in reference to the way this works on the internet and the mass media, but it's always been there. The idea is that if you try and get something censored or pulled off the internet, you try and prevent somebody from publishing something, that results in a lot of publicity and means a lot more people will see it than would have if you had kept your yap shut. The reason it's called the Streisand effect was because someone was taking aerial photographs of mansions and really big estates to document soil erosion and how seaside erosion was endangering some of these big mansions. And one of the compounds that he had a photograph of was Barbara Streisand's enormous estate. Now, there were no real security issues or privacy issues here. Nothing was labeled. Nothing was identified. For instance, there was no way you could tell which building was the 78,000-square-foot warehouse where she keeps her ego. And because of the resolution, you couldn't even see the shoebox where she keeps her talent. So there was really no danger, but she turned around and sued for $50 million. And as a result, this particular study and survey, this particular photograph, that would have maybe been seen by a few hundred or a few thousand people, was instead seen by millions. And so if you've got anything, a movie, a song, a book, any kind of media, and you want to get attention, the very best thing that can happen is for it to piss somebody off enough to try and stop you. Because that gives you publicity that money just can't buy. Maybe that's what this podcast needs. Yeah. Did you know that Barbara Streisand eats imported babies? She won't eat domestic babies. She only eats the finest, freshest imported babies. And when she says she's going to send out for Chinese, she means Chinese infants, which she eats raw. When she says, I'm sending out for Italian, you can be sure that Some poor Italian baby is going to be her next meal. Now all I have to do is sit back and wait for the Streisand effect to quadruple my subscriptions. And that's it for this episode of the Quick Hits Podcast. If you've learned a little something, if you've changed your mind, or even if you can just understand a different point of view without necessarily agreeing with it, Congratulations, you've been smartenized. And now the closing comments. Lots of email and then a little bonus at the end for those of you who usually skip this part. I'm going to give you some advice on the best way to celebrate the upcoming Great American Smokeout. But first, the email. And there was quite a bit of it. Please, by the way, don't feel bad if I don't read yours on the air here. I've just got far too many. It would be uh, too long a show. Got a fair amount of email on the Audio Insanity podcast. And nobody was telling me that the Monster Cable was wonderful or... I expected I'd get at least one person telling me that vinyl sounded better than CDs. Nope, I guess you're all too smartenized for that. Got an interesting one here from Third World American talking about uh, another thing with Monster Cable. And evidently they're suing everybody in the world 
who uses the term monster. And I found a list. Uh, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. They're suing Fenway Park for having the big green monster. Uh, they're suing anybody that uses the word monster in any way. Monster trucks. Uh, monster anything is on the end of one of their lawsuits. And I'll tell you, folks, I was on the losing end of a trademark lawsuit. And I can tell you the way that it works. If you're a little guy, basically whoever has the most money wins. In my particular situation, there was no infringement. There were a dozen different reasons why they had no case. But my lawyer didn't really sit me down until after he had sucked two grand out of my pocket, scum sucking bottom feeder, and explained to me that it was going to cost at least $125,000 to fight this lawsuit. And it wouldn't have been recoverable if I had won. So that's the way that these kinds of people work. And it turns out that Monster is suing little kids. They're suing anybody who dares to use the word, the phrase, Monster, in any way, shape, or form. So he talks about this for a while. Uh, Third World American talks about this for a while in his uh, message. And then says, Meanwhile, the charmingly named Candlestick Park in San Francisco is now called Monster Park. The naming rights having been purchased by a company that does nothing except sell wires at 100% the price and sues children. If you ask me, more corporations should be called Monster. So not only are they selling snake oil, and it's more than 100%, it's probably 1,000% over what it costs them to produce this stuff. Oh, and I've, I found something else in researching this. There are some amplifier manufacturers out there for guitar amplifiers who will void the warranty if you use monster cable because they have a tendency to break off inside of the jacks and mess everything up. So their legendary quality isn't all that good either. But not only are they selling high-priced snake oil, but they're complete dicks too. So now you've got another good reason not to ever buy monster products. I got a ton of response on the Lipid Legging podcast. People just loved it. And I knew you would, because it just fits right in with the listenership of this show. Some folks said they'd never heard of F. Paul Wilson, and were going to run out and try a few of his books. Others said they were longtime fans and really enjoyed the reading. One of the letters was from a guy named Brian, who works as a clown. I have a lot of clowns that listen to this show. And he was under the impression that the Illuminati series, which he read as a teenager, was written by F. Paul Wilson. And I had read that, too, way back, I think, when I was a teenager. It was very long. It was like three volumes and very strange and convoluted. And I have only very vague recollections of it. So I went and I looked it up, and it's actually not F. Paul Wilson. It's a guy named uh, Robert Anton Wilson who wrote it along with Robert Shea. But he did come up with a good idea in writing this letter about the Illuminati, and he suggested that we refer to the ignorati, people who are willfully ignorant. Yeah, I like that. That's a good idea. The ignorati. You could write a few books about that, I'm sure, but they wouldn't be fiction. And last one here from Parrot, who says, I have no idea about audio cables. I listen to most of my music over my computer speakers or MP3 player, and it all sounds perfectly fine to me. But your podcast got me thinking about all the fuss lately over high-def television. It all seems like a bunch of nonsense to me. 
Regular television shows the picture quality clear enough. He talks about comparing the images and seeing, yeah, it's a little it's sharper, it's better. But he says, still, I have to ask myself, so what? I mean, this is the stuff that high-def enthusiasts go on and on about. I read one report from an enthused fan of the technology, raving that he could count the toes on a chicken in the background of a certain scene. How bored do you have to be with a movie to want to count the toes on the chickens in the background? Perfect. Absolutely right. When I watch a movie or a television show, I want to get sucked in by the story, not how easily I can see the pebbles on the ground. As long as I'm not getting a lot of distortion or snow, I'm a happy camper. Are you in my camp on this, or are you all gung-ho about high def and think I'm an idiot? No, I think you're right on. If you are counting chicken toes, you've got a pretty boring movie there, and if you've got a good enough movie, you're not going to notice those chicken toes. And the difference between high def and, and regular screen, yeah, it's there. Yeah, I can see it, and high def is nicer. But for the price, no thanks. And last of all, as promised... Some advice on how to celebrate the great American smokeout. It comes around every time this year when the nicotine Nazis go and say, well, we're going to get everybody to quit smoking for a day. If you're a non-smoker, you can adopt a smoker and help him. The anti-smoker sentiment in this country, and it's not anti-smoking, it is specifically anti-smoker, has reached truly bizarre proportions. Try this experiment. Go into a restaurant light up a cigarette at the end of your meal, and gauge the response. Then, a week later, go into the same restaurant. Instead of pulling out a cigarette, pull out a live baby seal. Club it to death and eat it raw. Gauge the response. I guarantee you, I'll bet you a fine cigar that you'll get more crap for lighting up the cigarette. Unless, of course, you're with Barbara Streisand, because if she can't get fresh human babies, she will settle for a fresh baby seal. Anyhow... Back to the Great American Smokeout. I am making plans to celebrate it with some cigar-smoking friends of mine. We're going to get together and we're going to smoke out. We're going to go out and have some nice cigars, fill the air with high-quality cigar smoke, and then we're going to go and eat some very unhealthy foods. Actually, they're, they're probably perfectly healthy, but they would certainly uh, be the kind of things that the nicotine nannies would also squeal about. And then, after having some nice fatty meats and some delicious alcohol, we're going to smoke more cigars. And I would recommend that this is a fine way to celebrate the Great American Smokeout. Now, if you're a non-smoker, but a freedom lover, you can still make a statement. Just buy a big cigar and pretend. Carry it around with you all day. Now, you might even want to try lighting it up. You might find you like it. But you can use this as an opportunity to make a statement about the whiny, sniveling, pussified, wimpy, nanny, lipid-legged society that we've become. However, I would advise you to use caution when participating in similar events for the first time. A few years ago, I misinterpreted the intention of the Great American Meetout and really embarrassed myself. And that is the real end of this episode of the Quick Hits Podcast. Never forget... But this podcast is little more than a journal of one man's opinion and therefore should not be taken too seriously. Seriously.